a lot of the spots I find the biggest blocks are right alongside the road, believe it or not. Um, otherwise it's real remote and really hard to get to. You got to cross a big river or something like that, or, or it's just something that doesn't look like deer habitat, you know, but it does have the features that, that a deer needs, you know? So I'm looking for those spots where people don't go. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and man, I am extremely excited to bring you this week's podcast because we're going to be talking with none other than the original hunting beast, Dan Infault. Uh, Dan is going to tell us about how he is able to consistently kill big mature bucks on heavily pressured public land. Um, Those of you who are familiar with him know that Dan takes a little different approach than most, and he kind of shares those strategies with us, uh, talks about why he thinks early season is even better than the rut for killing truly mature bucks. And Dan also uh, takes takes a minute to share the craziest thing he's ever done to kill a buck, and that story alone is worth the listen, so be sure to stick around for that. Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by NDA sponsor Moultrie Mobile. Now, I've been using Moultrie since back in the days of 35-millimeter film and a bunch of D-cell batteries, and so uh, that's kind of dating myself there, I know, but hey, technology has come a long way, and now they've just released their Edge Series cellular camera that has an impressive list of high-tech features, uh, including the ability to connect to multiple cellular networks. So you no longer have to choose between an AT&T camera or a Verizon camera at the edge is going to choose the network that's best for the area where you're using it. And that's what it's going to connect to. So you always have the best coverage available. Uh, and they've also it, uh, built in the memory to the edge camera. So you can say goodbye to buying and formatting those expensive SD cards. Uh, it's going to save your photos right to the internal memory. No more messing with SD cards. And you get all that at a retail price of under a hundred dollars. So if that interests you, be sure to check out Moultrie's cameras and the Moultrie Mobile app at MoultrieMobile.com. Hey, it's an exciting time for our Deer Steward program. We are in the final stretch of a complete renovation or a complete overhaul of our Deer Steward 1 online course. Uh, that new course is going to become available February 1st of next year, and it's going to offer a whole new look, a new platform, a, a wider variety of topics. Uh, and more deer researchers than ever before. And, and we'll be telling you more about that as we kind of approach that official launch date. So be sure to stay tuned. But for now, uh, we're excited to offer a 20% discount on all registrations for the current version of Deer Steward 1. And we're offering that through October 31st. So from now until October 31st, you can get 20% off the cost for our Deer Steward 1 course. And then on November 1, uh, we're completely cutting off Deer Steward 1. It won't be available until we launch the new version uh, in February. So if you've been thinking about it, if you've been on the fence, hey, now is the time to jump in there and take the Deer Steward 1 course. You can get a discount, and it's only going to be available for a short time before we launch uh, that new version in February. So you can check that out at DeerAssociation.com slash DS1. Also, I want to remind you guys, we still have the special NDA membership for our podcast listeners. Uh, Again, you can head over to our website at DeerAssociation.com, click on that join or renew link right there at the top of the website, and use the promo code podcast. That's going to give you $5 off the price in the annual membership, so it's going to be $30 for an annual membership. And we're going to throw in a NDA cap for you as well. So uh, that's a great offer uh, that's been going on for a while. I know a lot of you guys have taken advantage of that, and we certainly appreciate that support. But if you haven't, be sure to check that out. And again, just use the promo code podcast, save a little money, and get a cool NDA cap to go with it. With that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone here with Dan Infault to talk about his hunting strategy for killing these big mature bucks on heavily pressured public land. 
All right, Dan, uh, before we start diving into some deer hunting strategy, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and as far as how you kind of initially developed your, your passion for deer hunting? Oh, geez, I can't remember a time when I wasn't passionate about deer hunting <laughs> back as far as I can remember. <laughs> I've always had a desire for, you know, um, my dad didn't hunt much when, um, after I was born. Um, and, uh, my brothers that hunted went off to Vietnam and I was kind of left on my own. And, uh, I just went out back and chased critters around, you know, <laughs> learned on my own. Yep. I, I can relate to that. Uh, kind of the same way there. Didn't no, no one in my family hunted when, when I took an interest, but, uh, yeah, I had to, had to learn the hard way. But so, so how, when did you, I guess, start hunting public land? How did that develop into this, this passion for chasing, chasing deer on public lands? Oh, um, probably my, my teens. I started hitting public land quite a bit, um, moving around and just hunting wherever I could get to. Uh, I remember my, my, uh, dad used to go up North fishing and stuff and he would just drop me off with a, <laughs> with a bow on some woods I've never been in before. And I'd wander in there and find sign and hunt. And, you know, that's how I started on public. Um, but it just, uh, you know, it kept growing and growing and growing and and really it's so hard to get, uh, permission on private. And every time, um, you get permission on private, you know, uh, 99% of the time it's got some sort of rules attached that usually ruin the fun. <laughs> you, know? Oh, yeah. they, you know, there's always something attached to it, but, uh, um, public there's, you know, it's just your land. Basically you can do whatever you want as long as you're respectful to everybody else that's hunting there, you know? Yeah. So how, how quickly, I guess, did you start having success when, when you first started deer hunting? Was this something that, that took quite a while or did you, uh, did you take to it pretty naturally? Um, you know, when I was, um, very young, um, I went out to recurves. I didn't know any better. So I just flung, you know, walked around every time I saw a deer, I flung arrows at them, you know, and eventually you learn that that don't really work too much. You have to get, uh, to be a precision person with a bow, you know, and, uh, I started killing deer at about the age nine. Um, and, uh, at, at first, you know, I started killing a lot of deer, you know, um, filling many tags as I could, you know, meat hunter. Then you want to get bucks and you start, you know, shooting bucks. And then, then you don't want to start wanting to shoot big bucks and you start holding out and mm. it just progressed. You know, I, um, I started shooting big bucks in my, uh, late teens and I think when I got it my first really big one was uh, um, in 1989 I got a really big 10 pointer that I was after now was there kind of a a, a key factor there or a aha moment where you where you went from you know just, just killing deer killing bucks to killing mature bucks I mean did you figure something out there or was it just kind of a, a natural progression well you know um it was mainly, you know, it started out, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of deer and you're a meat hunter and, and getting a deer was a big deal, you know? Um, and then when you started getting bucks, you started, you know, everybody would be like crazy over small bucks at that time. Cause there wasn't very many big bucks around in Southern Wisconsin where I grew up, um, back in those days, you know, and, uh, as it, you know, as it started getting easier to kill them, I, I wanted my seasons to last longer, you know, and I held out more for stuff. And, uh, what really kicked it in gear was most of the deer didn't grow to be old. When I got a, what would be a big buck for those days, it'd be a two-year-old that made it through its year and a half old range. Um, and that was rare. Well, we had one that, uh, made it past two and a half, made it to three and got really big, you know, and made it to four, made it to five. And then I shot it at five. And, uh, the progression of hunting that deer and getting obsessed with it is probably what really kicked me in the gear. That, that deer probably set me down the path that I'm on. <laughs> it's really the one that uh, got me hunting uh, bedding areas and stuff because I wanted to kill it so bad. I had all its sheds, um, and uh, I uh, couldn't quite get on the thing. And I learned, without, you know, all mentors to tell me that it was bad to hunt in bedding areas like everybody said back then. I didn't know any better. And I I noticed that uh, whenever I saw deer, they'd be coming out of thick bedding type areas and they wouldn't quite get far enough to shoot if you didn't get closer. So I just gravitated towards bedding areas. And then when I, when I 
couldn't kill this thing. I wanted to learn more about that bedding, those bedding areas. So I started going in there first looking for sheds and then finding the bedding areas. We started studying them. And then I, um, the year that I got that particular buck in the winter, I just decided that I was going to learn every one of those bedding areas in that small block where that thing lived, which was about a square mile. And, uh, once I learned all the bedding areas, I figured he had to be in one of them. And, uh, I was going to just hunt him down and I was unable to get him during bow season, although I had several cracks, but I wasn't tuned in at that time in my life. Right. Then when gun season came, my out, I took and I, I went into the bedding areas and snuck in them and jumped the deer out. And, uh, on uh, Thanksgiving day, um, I caught him in a bedding area and jumped him out and, and shot him and, uh, learned that, uh, that the bedding areas were key. And from then on, I was obsessed with figuring out those bedding areas. And I'm still learning about them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely want to, that's a big part of what I want to talk about is those bedding areas and, and how you find them and how you hunt them. Uh, but before we dive into that, though, I know that you had a, a post I've seen here just in the last few days on, on Facebook about hunting opening day and how, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of deer hunters, they'll kind of save spots and they're waiting for that perfect timing, you know, close to the rut and before they ever get in there and hunt it. But uh, you didn't necessarily recommend that. What's, what's kind of, what's your early season strategy look like? <laughs> yeah, well, I've taken uh, uh, quite a few really nice bucks on opening day. Uh, last year I shot a seven, uh, seven year old buck um, that I've been hunting for years on the fifth day of the season. Um, my very biggest bucks have come in the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, in September, um, which might sound odd to people. You know, I see more deer and, uh, I can probably kill more deer during the rut, but the majority of my mature bucks when they get to be over five years old come from opening week. Um, and it's really, they're relaxed. Uh, they're still in their summer patterns. They're, um, easier to kill. I think, uh, even during the rut when those deer are under pressure and stuff and that timing of the year, they don't move. The mature bucks don't move like the rest of the herd does. You know, they'll go for rut. They'll go sit in, uh, you know, on the edge of a doe bedding area or something, but they, they don't run through funnels and stuff like everybody thinks they wouldn't get to be seven years old if they did. <laughs> and with the amount of pressure, you know, you, you know, you come out to these public lands where I'm hunting and you can go into any funnel during a rut on a Saturday and you'll run into a guy in every one of them sitting, sitting on a tree in a tree. So there's no way a buck could even run around for one day. (laughs) Like people think they do without dying, you know, and the fact that they make a mistake every now and then, and maybe it is just one day out of the year that people do actually every now and then get lucky. But do you know anybody that, uh, hunts traditional funnels, sits on a scrape or sits over a rubble line? and has a wall full of bucks, everybody hunts like that, and they don't have walls full of bucks. What I'm doing is working. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess what are you what are you looking for in an early season spot? I mean, obviously, you know, you said there you're, you're, getting, you're getting close to that bedding regardless, but mm-hmm. any certain things that uh, you're looking for for that early season spot as opposed to other times of the, the year or other parts of the season, I guess? Well, there's a lot that goes into that question. I mean, um, I do a lot of scouting uh, in winter. I find bedding areas, and then I determine when I think you're bedding there. I do a little detective work. You know, is it near food? Is it rubbed up that they're using it during uh, the rut? Um, you know, how does the cover look? Is you know, what, when would the cover be adequate for bedding? You know, and I try to determine that the time period that the deer are there. Most of these bedding areas have uh, a peak period of use. It's around two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks long out of the year. And the rest of the year, they're not really used. So if you don't hit that timing right, you don't do very well. Um, So early season, it's usually, you know, a lot of times it's food related. Sometimes it's cover related. Um, But uh, I do very well on uh, bedding areas that are, you know, kind of overlooked off to the side, but they're near food. Um, Like acorns are huge in the swamps. Now, acorns uh, can be your you know, best friend or your worst enemy. If you're hunting in the hills or you're hunting in big woods or something that are full of oaks and acorns are dropping and the deer only have to stand up and eat, it can be very, very hard to figure those deer out. 
or to get in between them and food. But if you're in a swamp and acorns are on isolated patches like islands or high ground or something or, or on the edge of the swamp, you can literally follow that edge and find a sign coming out and it can be really easy to get on bucks um, at that time of the year. Okay. And in so that type of terrain. Yeah. So, so you are taking, you know, always think, think about you as, as you're hunting these beds, obviously, or, or hunting near these beds, but you do take then food sources into consideration. You're just not necessarily hunting over them like a lot of guys would be during that early season. Correct. Correct. I mean, uh, food is probably one of the last things I'm thinking about, but I, I do notice that in early season or in late season, that uh, food is a huge factor. I mean, I do find that sometimes these bucks are very isolated from the food, you know, and then you have to still find the bedding where they're coming from because you're not going to be in that food in daylight. But, uh, you, you know, I would start at the food, you know, if I, if I didn't have a clue um, and then hunt my way back from there. Um, but, uh, you, you know, a lot of times in early season, you can shoot them right into food. You know, the acorns on the edge of a swamp, the first acorn tree, on the, on the point coming out of the swamp is usually where I'll be sw- sitting because I don't want to hit that first acorn tree and just sit there and I'm further back, you know, and watching them, you know, um, cause you usually get one crack, but, uh, you know, last year's buck, um, I shot him on the fifth day of the season and, uh, he was, um, pretty far from a food source. Um, but looking at the bed, the detective work told me that it was an early season bed. And I knew that buck was living in that area and there was rubs in the bedding area quite heavily in a lot of beds, but it was, um, willow brush. that it loses its uh, leaves in October, which told me all that sign was coming from early season because they're not going to bed in the open sun. Right. So, so, uh, I knew that early season was time to be there. So it took me, um, two seasons and three hunts to kill that buck. The first season I blew it. And then I, I, I hunted it two days in a row because the first day um, I had a doe uh, bust me and start blowing it, scare him away. <laughs> I hunted it the next day to keep him honest. And then I stayed out of there because I didn't want to um, blow the spot. And then uh, last year, I waited for the first brisk north wind and went to the exact same spot. And the does weren't there and he came out and I shot him. But it was really about, um, I knew that that bedding area was an early season bedding area based on my scouting. And uh, it was a ways away from the food, quite a ways. But that's where he was headed. He was headed towards crops because we didn't have a good acorn year last year. But the crops were quite a ways. Okay. So you you waited you waited a whole season basically then for conditions to be right before you uh, you went back in yeah, there. Yeah, it's really about not overhunting them things. Yeah. You put pressure on them and they just disappear out of those bedding areas. So um, I hunt these bedding areas even when they're really pristine and great spots. The most I'd ever hunt one is three times in a year, and I think that's overdoing it. Um, I've had uh, spots where I'll hunt it once, maybe twice in a year, and uh, I always have good buck action. And then somebody will find it, you know, and put up a stand and put a trail camera there and beat a trail to it, and it'll go dead. And I've noticed that they'll hunt it uh, like a season or two, you know, and then it'll go good and dead, and they'll finally give up on it and leave. And when they leave, it takes a couple seasons before the deer even come back. They're pretty touchy That's, about uh, human inter, inter, interaction at their bedding areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And man, I may uh, not say that. It, yeah, I know that takes discipline because I mean, I know I've been guilty of it. You know, you find an area like that, a bedding area or something. And like you said, you, you, you hunt it like maybe you did that first time and you have some, some does bust you, you know, it's, it's real tempting just to, to go back in there, you know, the next day or a week later and then, you know, a week later and oh, just yeah. keep thinking, you know, that I know they're in there sooner or later. I'm, everything's going to work out right. But you, you know that uh, I didn't get to where I'm at now by not trying to push that envelope at one point <laughs> in my life. Right. Because, you know, it's the tempting thing to do. But what's got me to where I am now is is really my analytic way of thinking. I'm always ripping things apart and trying to analyze my success versus my failure. And one thing I've noticed when I, when I analyze my success is the majority of the bucks I've shot in my life have come from rut and have come from funnels or food sources or stands I've hunted several times. But when you get to my top 15 bucks, the ones that are five years old and older, 
like uh, 10 or 11 of them are the first sit ever in a spot. And of the last three or four, two of them are the first time for the year that I sat there, you know, and then, then maybe there's one or two that I sat a spot a, a couple of times. Yeah. You, you know, there's such a huge difference between what has killed mature bucks and what has killed, you know, your two and three year olds. Right. Yeah. Different um, animal. And you, right. It's a whole different animal. When they get to that age, they get very intelligent. Now, either that or they just, they just figure it out. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you head into a spot like that, do you already have like your stand location in mind? You know exactly where you're going to to set up or are you kind of scouting your way in and, and letting the sign dictate where you end up? I do both and it depends. I mean, if I've scouted the area in winter, I know where I need to be. Um, I will go, you know, if I go in in winter and I pre-scout an area and I learn all the bedding, I will go in and I'll learn that bed in one day very intimately. I'll learn how the deer come in and out of there. I'll know exactly which trees I need to be in, what winds I need to be there. Um, my approach, I'll have all that down pat. If I haven't scouted an area, like say I'm going to someplace new, I'm going on a road trip, uh, we're going to go do a challenge at some other state or something, then I'm going to study maps. I'm going to look for those things that I've seen when I've done that spring scouting, when I've killed deer before, and I'm going to try and mimic that with the maps and with the skeleton. And then I'm going to go in and I'm going to slide in slow, you know, and scout my way in and try to, you know, take my best guess based on what I've seen from bedding and what I've had happen in the past and get as close as I can and try to pick the same type of tree I would as if I had pre-scouted it by taking an educated guess where that deer's coming from. So I do it both ways and I've had success both ways. Okay. Now, uh, something else I'm curious about because how often do you hunt and not see a deer? Because I, I think modern hunting media is kind of a, a messed up a lot of our perceptions about about how these hunts should play out and and you know i know just like this season I, my first two sets didn't see a deer and i'm already thinking man what in the world am i am i doing wrong here <laughs> so how, how does that work for you yeah you know i can go um sometimes as much as like 10 sits in a row without seeing a deer um that's pretty rare i mean usually i see deer but seeing a shooter buck i mean i don't see a lot of them and generally when i do see one it's in range so i shoot it so, because if you're setting up correctly, if you're, if you're pushing that envelope as far as you can, generally he's got to come past you to come out of there. So if I, if, if I'm in the right position, usually if I see the buck, I can shoot him. So, I mean, I might go, you know, I might see three or four shooters in a season and I hunt, you know, 60, 60 times, 60 plus in a, in a season, but I am hunting some pretty heavy pressured stuff. Now, um, those, those odds change dramatically if I'm hunting private land or managed land or, or public that's in a better area, you know, say some of the spots I hunt, like when I get an Iowa tag or something, they're a little better. I do a lot higher odds. You know, I go on travel trips to, to better destinations. I, I have much higher odds. Um, but yeah, I could certainly go 10 days in a row without seeing a deer. And that doesn't deter me at all because you, you know, some guys got to see deer. They're like, like I'm not seeing deer. I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> But, you know, if you're seeing spikers, forks, those, that doesn't matter. It's like seeing rabbits to me. That's not what I'm after. Right. It's like they're two different animals. So um, the deterrent for me is not seeing mature bucks, but you don't, you know, you don't see those every time. And a lot of times if I'm hunting down in an area and I know there's a mature buck in there, not seeing them doesn't deter me at all. It just motivates me. If, if I'm going to an area, I don't see no sign of this deer. I haven't heard a deer or nothing. Okay, I can write that spot off. Now there's only so many spots you can be. And I just hunt that area down. And I keep moving through it until I get my opportunity. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And yeah, I, I'm I'm guilty of that sometimes, man. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I, I want to see deer, but I, I, at the same time, I know when you're hunting mature bucks, you know, you're, 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 you're oftentimes hunting areas where you're not going to see a lot of deer or just deer in general. Right. So yeah, I try right. to try to keep that in mind, but yeah, I do. I do like to see deer. I like to put slick heads in the freezer. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, mature, mature bucks, they're like the only animal that age class in that woodlot. And they're just loners. They just, you know, 
unless they're breeding, they're, they're off to the side by themselves in a spot and they really don't tolerate other animals very well, you know, in a lot of cases. I mean, each one of them's kind of got their own personality, but I often find them in some spot where nobody goes. It doesn't look like deer terrain. It's, you know, a brushy overgrown field. It's got some bushy trees in it or something. And you can hardly get a stand in a tree and it's really hard to hunt and other people just bypass it. So it's got no human scent in it or whatever. And uh, they just live there and by themselves and you either see that buck or you don't see anything. Yeah. Well, let's, let's kind of dive into that. I guess for maybe the guy that's, that's never tried to, to find and, and hunt these bedding areas, you know, maybe they've always just hunted food sources. How would they go about, you know, getting out there and, and locating these bedding areas. And what, I guess, what are you looking for when you go out there on a, on a new piece of ground looking for these bedding areas? So the first thing I do is I'll look at the, the local um, public lands and I'll cross a lot of them off. And the ones I cross off um, without even looking at them are the ones that I feel did not have adequate cover to keep a deer alive long enough to make it to four or five years old. So um, if guys can go in there and do deer drives or something and uh, pretty much effectively kill everything, I mean, the deer aren't going to live to be four or five years old. So I'm looking for stuff that's very thick, dense, has a lot of water on it that people won't go through. Um, or it's uh, remote, it's away from cities and towns, um, you know, and, and it just doesn't get that kind of pressure, you know. So once I find that, um, then I'm taking the property um, looking at an aerial of it and I'm looking at how, how the accesses come in. How do people come into this? How do they hunt it? And I'm thinking, how do, how do people access this property? Where do they go when they hunt? What would they look for? They're going to be looking for ridges to hunt on. Or are they going to be looking for, you know, you know, islands? Are they going to be looking for, you know, this, that, or the other thing? And then how are they going to go about going into this property? And then I try to look for, I cross out everything where I think people would just go to. They, they would look at that as deer habitat. Cross all that out. I don't even want to see that. So the remaining 10% that's left on the land where people don't go is where I start looking. And a lot of times that's um, right along the roadside in between uh, parking lots. Nobody goes out a little ways, um, you know, like 20 yards and follows the road a quarter mile. They just don't do that. They go a little ways or they go a long ways. They might go off to the sides, but they don't go hunt alongside the road. Not when they, you know, when they're parked a quarter mile from that spot. So a lot of the spots I find the biggest bucks are right alongside the road, believe it or not. Um, otherwise, it's real remote and really hard to get to. You got to cross a big river or something like that, or or it's just something that doesn't look like deer habitat, you know, but it does have the features that, that a deer needs, you know. So I'm looking for those spots where people don't go. When you go in there, you you know, and you hunt those spots, you leave scent, and scent is going to stay there for 15, 20 days. You know, um, I've seen it where dogs can follow a scent, you know, a week after it's laid down. I'm sure they can smell it a lot longer than that, but maybe they can't follow it, right, but they can detect it. You know, and deer smell better than a dog. So you get your scent in there, and, and they know you've been there, and uh, they're going to avoid spots where people go. Now, they'll cross over human trails, things like that when they travel, but where they live and they bed is sacred to them. They don't want anybody interfering with that. And uh, that's what I want to find. Okay. And so what, <clears throat> I know you've, you've hunted, you know, you've gotten to hunt a variety of areas and, and habitat. Have you noticed any consistencies as far as when it comes to where these mature bucks prefer to bed? Now, I know obviously, like you just said, human intrusion is going to be the, the number one, you know, thing that, that keeps them out of an area. But as far as like where they're actually choosing to bed, I mean, is there certain terrain features, certain habitat or, or Absolutely. any, can you talk a little bit about that? What, what kind of consistency? So, do you so see? let's, let's talk, um, swamps first, swamps and, and marshes. So, um, they've been on transition edge. So where trees meet, um, cattails where cattails meet dogwood where there's an island they're on edge so they, they bet on edges and when you follow an edge uh terrain features that jut off of those edges like a, like a little point of trees that goes off into the cattails they'll be on the tips of those they'll be like on the last tree um going into them uh the thick brush um they can manipulate the winds there 
they can monitor the one axis that people are going to come down right down the point or coyotes or whatever's hunting them. Um, and they have good escape cover. All those beds will have good escape cover. They won't escape, um, across a lake. They won't scrape, uh, escape across an open field. So they're going to have, um, a good escape route. You know, um, they'll either have, um, they'll be set up to either hear you, smell you, you know, or, um, some way they detect you, um, if you're coming. You know, um, when you find a mature buck's bed, there's usually an aha moment, like, holy crap, this is perfect. <laughs> it's almost like an, an intelligent person picked this out, you know, when you, when you see it. If, you, if the bed looks kind of random, it probably is. It's a night bed or an insignificant animal. You know, um, mature bucks really pick their beds with, um, with care. They don't do anything randomly or an accident. Um, when you get into hill country, they're usually in the leeward hillsides, about a third from the top, which really, if you think about it, limits down the land dramatically. So you can take a topo map and you can say, okay, the wind here usually blows west, you know, some variant of west. So all the east-facing slopes are the spots that are going to be the primary bedding areas. You know, and then you look for points coming off of those those uh, east sides or, or little tiny rock outcroppings or you know um benches and stuff that are on that leeward side and generally um that's where the bucks are going to be so i mean you can really cross out a lot of the land with with that feature alone you know then i try to find well what leeward sides are people not going to hit now you really cut it down you know one feature i find a lot in hill country is when uh, it's a low axis there's a, a high ridge right alongside the parking lot Nobody gets out of their car and goes straight up the ridge and hunts alongside the road. <laughs> and I find mature bucks all the time watching the parking lot from up there. But you can't hunt them like that. You have to go out and come back around to them, you know. But yeah. uh, I've done quite well like that in hill country. Uh, river bottoms, I look for oxbows a lot. Um, bucks will bet on oxbows and then monitor the, um, the land bridge that goes into the oxbow. Um, they'll either watch it or smell it because that's where people come from and they can dive through the river or whatever for escape. Um, those have worked out really well for me. Now they don't work very well. if There's a lot of river traffic, like boats and canoes and stuff like that. Now for somebody that, for somebody that might not be familiar with that, what, what exactly is an oxbow? An oxbow is a spot where the river does, um, like a, a teardrop shape, kind of like, uh, maybe you want to say if it takes a horseshoe shape or the two, the two, the tip of it, has a land bridge that goes into, you know, like a, uh, um, it's like an island that connects with the mainland, you know? Um, so the river takes a, a series of bends that has a loop and, and forms like an island, but there's a land bridge that connects it to the land. Gotcha. Yeah. Now they still need cover on it. I mean, it can't be solid open trees or something, but usually they are, oxbows are usually pre brushy, you know, from flooding and stuff like that to get grassy and stuff. And, uh, those have been some really good features for me in, in river bottoms. If you don't have oxbows, uh, um, sharp corners, the, the corner in the river can act like an oxbow. Now in hill country where they're, where they're bedding on these, uh, the leeward side of these hills and, and points is cover is thick cover still as important then, or have you found that they'll bed, you know, in more open territory as long as, long as they have that view. They have to, but they really don't like open. Um, what they, I think the perfect scenario for a buck in hill country is thick on top above them and open below and then sitting on that thick edge. So the very best bedding I've found, um, many different times in, um, hill country is where there's a clear cut in the woods, like where they've, uh, timbered and then they stop when it starts getting steep. And that just happens to be a leeward side. And those bucks can put their back up against that steep stuff, have the wind coming through that steep stuff and hitting them, and then watch downhill and have that thermal coming up from down the hill. And, they, and where they sit on that leeward side is they sit right at the elevation. This is why they're a third of the way down from the top. They sit right where it starts to drop off steep, and they get to the point where they can smell the wind above them, and they can smell the thermal coming up from the bottom during the day. And right where they meet is where they sit. So if you ever, like you're, you're at the bottom of the hill, your thermal is going to pull up that hill. Right. The wind blowing over will, will cause a vacuum. 
and your thermal won't go straight up. It'll actually follow the land terrain. If you drop milkweed, you'll see it. Your, your milkweed will go right up to, uh, to a point where it hits the wind coming over, and then it'll loop a few times and then jut out off into space. Well, right where that, right where that milkweed starts to, to build up freaky maneuvers <laughs> is right where the, you find all the beds. Okay. All right. Well, say I've, I've located this, you know, I've done my scouting. I've, I've located this, this book bedding area, um, which is timely because I actually over the weekend <laughs> going to check trail camera, um, discovered, discovered this bedding area, a couple of fresh rubs where, you know, bucket, uh, worked the velvet off of his antlers and, and a couple of fresh beds there. Um, I guess walk us through, you know, then how do we go about hunting that? Cause obviously, like you said, they're, they're putting the, the wind and other factors in their favor. How do you approach a bedding area to, to hunt it? What are some considerations there? I guess. Well, the hardest part is you have to determine which way he's going. How's he exiting that? So is he dropping down to, um, crops? Is he, uh, side hill in it? Is he going up uphill? And you can do that by, you know, trails and sign. Um, but if you if you haven't pre-scouted it, it can be a difficult procedure trying to figure out which way without busting the deer because you have to stay so far away from that without getting your wind in there and stuff. But uh, um, uneducated guessing ain't a bad thing either. I mean, you can hunt one side, then hunt another side, and you can kind of guess. Well, I think he's going after you know you know um, it's it's eighty degrees today. I think he's going to head towards this uh, river bottom. You know, at some point maybe get a drink or something. Maybe I'll try down here and you look for a trail that's coming from that area. You set up on it. If that don't work and you're still pretty confident he's using that bed you try a different direction, you know? Um, but getting below them is really hard because uh, of that rising thermal. It's best if they're going uphill. Um, if they're going downhill, you got to be quite a ways from them and getting down to those valleys is pretty hard to hunt. I mean, it's doable, but you got to be careful. Usually if I hunt below them, I, uh, I wait till that last hour of light because you're going to get thermals and stuff that are going to blow up there occasionally. So I try to, you know, pin it down to just, you know, getting in there just about the time that the thermals start to drop when you get a shadow in there Yeah. for below. Um, but above or to the sides, I kind of play the wind more. You always have to take the thermals into account though in hill country. Um, I'll set up with actually the wind blowing at, uh, um, at a deer trail on occasion, knowing that, um, that last, um, 45 minutes of light when it gets calm, my thermal is going to go the opposite direction. Thermals are more, more important than the wind because, um, the deer usually move in that last, you know, 45 minutes, which is usually, um, calm on most days. And then you have, you know, the thermals take over. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you had, more success in, in the mornings versus evenings hunting these bedding areas, or has it been about, about the same? I do a lot better in the evenings. Okay. I, I think I've killed one mature buck. You know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of lesser bucks, but one mature buck in the mornings on a, on a bedding area. Um, I've had quite a few run-ins with bucks in the mornings, but the trouble is they, they don't tend to, come in um exactly how you want them to they tend to come to the downwind side and come in uh, nose to wind then turn around and watch your back trail and you got to know kind of where they're going to hook in because they'll they'll like walk in from any direction but when they get straight downwind then they turn and go to the bed and uh, if you're above them they're going to smell you when they go to wind it because you're going to smell and make sure the area is good but when they leave in the evening they just get up and come down the trail and the trail, the, it's the trail you see coming in and out of the bedding area. It's really coming out. Those bucks come out of that trail. But when they go in there, they're smelling the bedding area and stuff. And another thing is, especially early season, up up until like uh, mid-October, I see those bucks bedding before daylight most of the time. And I've even uh, done camera studies where I'll put trail cameras in bedding areas. And you see those bucks coming in bed like an hour before daylight, you know, two hours before daylight. And I've noticed uh, when I try to hunt bedding areas in the morning, I get up close and I hear the deer get up out of their beds and bust out of there. Mm-hmm. But in the evening, they always tend to come out in daylight. They don't seem to stay bedded till after dark. They have they make a movement. Now that movement ain't huge. It ain't a long distance, but it's far enough to kill them. You know, they get 75, 100 yards in daylight. A lot of times they get further than that, but they usually get at least 75, 100 yards in daylight. Now I've killed a lot of them 
right, you know, right before closing time, 75, 100 yards from the bed. But they, they tend to get that far. They get far enough to kill them. Yeah. The morning's so, pretty difficult, though. So do you even do you even bother hunting many mornings, or do you still? Well, during the rut, I like to hunt the mornings because right. they'll shift. They'll get up and they'll move from, you know, bedding area to bedding area a little bit, especially if the bedding areas are close to each other, or they'll get up, come out of a bedding area and move. Um, they'll move with the does. Um, so rut, I've done very well in the mornings, um, but not necessarily on the, on the bedding. Sometimes I like to hunt, uh, like downwind of a doe bedding area in, in the rut or on the trail a little further back from the bedding so that I'm not kicking the deer that are bedded in the morning out of there, but the ones that move over to that bedding at, at a later time. So what I'm seeing on cameras and what I'm seeing physically during rut is they still seem to bed in the morning just before daylight, but there seems to be a movement like a, you know, later in the morning where they get up and move to another bedding area where I don't see that at other times in, in the, in the year I see them get up and move, but they move within the same bedding area. Right. Okay. Well, I guess you kind of answered this in your previous talk there, but how close do you try to get in and, and set up to a bedding area? Uh, in, in swamps and marshes, I try to get within 75 to 100 yards. Um, hill country and big woods, I still want to be that close, but it's not as easy. I usually end up, you know, 100 to 200 yards away. Sometimes I can use um, the terrain um, to hide myself and I can get a little closer. Um, but it's hard. If it's open terrain, it's hard. Because like in uh, the more open woods, they use their eyesight a lot. Where in swamps and marshes, they don't. They use sound and smell. So I can get a lot closer in uh, marsh uh, or swamp terrain. I also get closer when it's a windy day because there's all kinds of things moving. And if I'm going slow, they don't notice me if I'm moving in the wind. Um, I also use uh, rain days to get into spots right can't get as close because if it's crunchy leaves um the leaves don't make any noise when they're wet you can just you know sneak through them yeah yeah um so some of those things i use for those spots that are harder to get close but when i'm like 200 yards off a lot of times you know i'll see the mature buck and he doesn't quite get to me and then if if, if he busts you um getting down or if he comes through later and smells where you were it's it's over anyways so I would rather just wait for the right day, the right timing. Uh, patience is the is the key to a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, do, you've touched on this some, but how much, I guess, does your strategy change as the season progresses in, into the rut? Uh, you know, it doesn't change a lot. It changes on the type of bedding I, I hunt. Um, like when I'm I'm scouting and I'm doing detective work on, on bedding areas, I'm finding uh, uh Rut beds are beds that are not used very much. You have a hard time seeing the beds themselves, but there's rubs all around them ripped up, and they're almost always adjacent to doe bedding. And they might only hold a buck for a week or so out of the year, but at that time, that buck's sitting there, you know? So I'll set up on those kind of places. I'll set up on a downwind uh, side of doe bedding, but I'm finding on the downwind side of doe bedding is usually where those beds I was just telling you about are. Um, then they're not always downwind either. I've had them a lot of times on, uh, the upwind side, but they're watching the exit that the bedding, that the does come in and out of. And I've, I've actually had a couple of hunts where I've actually watched a buck from a distance rise from those types of beds and move to the does as they come out of the bedding areas. Like they don't bed with them because the does will just keep running from them, but they bed adjacent and kind of monitor them. And, uh, that's done well for me. Okay. So. so when you're out scouting and find a good doe bedding area, is that kind of your next, your next move? Are you looking for those, those rut buck bedding areas that are around, you know, around those doe bedding areas. If it's a traditional doe bedding area, there's usually some buck bedding areas nearby um, monitoring it. And they're just used during the rut usually. And they're harder to see. It's harder to see the beds themselves, um, but the rubs usually give them away. And that's the thing. I mean, if you find a bedding area and it doesn't have many rubs, it doesn't mean it's a doe bedding area. It might be a early season or late season doe or bedding area, right? Um, but if they're bedding there during like that, that late October, early November, I would expect to see a lot of uh, rubs around the bedding area. Okay. And I guess from your experience, do do bucks seem to use those those the same bedding areas from year to year? Yeah. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you, you know, it won't be one buck, 
It'll be multiple bucks, and there usually isn't just one bed. There isn't a rare occasion, but most of the time it's like a quarter acre area, and that buck will get up uh, throughout the day and move to different positions based on winds and thermals and sun and, and all kinds of things. And there'll be all kinds of beds in that same little area. Now, if it's a doe bedding area, the beds are generally in a circle and they're not generally uh, in the same spot. They'll, every day they'll bed in a different spot and they'll all look a different direction. They won't be wind-based. They won't have their back up against a tree or a deadfall or something because they work as a group and they'll all face a different direction and watch for incoming danger. They don't even worry about which direction the wind is coming. Now, if a doe is bedding in a, in a buck area, one or two does will go in there and they'll bed just like the bucks. They'll bed with their back to cover or whatever and watch downwind. Um, but as a group, they bed circular. So if you find a group of beds, but all the beds are like, the they're, you know, not where there's a good vision. They're in thick cover. They got their back up against something. They're watching an opening. Those are buck beds. And even if a doe beds there occasionally, you know, but those are, those are buck beds and they'll be, they'll be in fairly large groups of beds, you know? Okay. Well, that's interesting. Cause that, that's something I've, I've always struggled with since I started just a, a few years back early, you know, trying to focus on, on these bedding areas as well. It's just, you know, how do, how do I know? I don't know if this is, are these does bedding here or is, are these, you know, a buck bedding here, but that's, that's good to know. Now you've been involved with, with a few of the, uh, the public land challenges with the, the hunting public guys and, and some others. And I always enjoy watching those and just kind of seeing how everybody approaches a, a new area like that. So can you kind of walk us through that, that process for you, you know, going, you're going into an area that you've, you've never laid eyes on before. What's your process for kind of breaking it down quickly and, and trying to, you know, key in on these, these areas. Well, they, they usually give me a couple of weeks notice where we're going to go. So I, um, I study maps of the area. I try to find properties I think will hold good bucks. And uh, I try to find key features in those properties that'll, that'll uh, um, be good bedding areas. And then when I get there, um, I generally have a very limited amount of time, like um, at least on the public land challenges, I might have four or five days, you know? So I'll go out and I'll scout heavy. And if I don't find a sign I want, I just keep walking until I do. And then, and then I hunt. Um, I'll walk during a day through property. I'll find a spot that I'm thinking, well, this could be a good hunting spot. Um, but I'll keep walking. And if I find something better, I'll go to the better spot. If I don't, they'll come back to that spot for the evening set. Um, then the next day I'll start over and I'll just keep hitting properties like that. And it, what, what's amazing to me is a lot of guys will tell me, you know, they'll watch that and they'll be like, you're on a run hunt and you're not sitting all day. And I'm thinking to myself, well, when do you scout? You sit all day and these people will tell me they, they scout, they sit morning to dusk. And if you, you talk to them enough, a lot of guys will just take a map, you know, and they'll look for a ridge and they'll just sit on that ridge. And maybe that works. Um, but as far as, you know, I can't just hunt deer. Uh, for me, I want to hunt mature deer. That doesn't mean I'm not going to shoot a real big two-year-old or, a, you know, a nice three-year-old when they come by, but I want to be in the game for mature bucks. Um, so, I'm going to try and find that, you know, pristine bedding for a mature buck and, and I'm going to try and locate that and, and, and run them. And if I don't get a deer, I'm okay with that. You know, I just, I want to be in the game for, for, you know, something really big. Yeah. And on a limited hunt like that, how many times will you hunt an area before you, you go to plan B? Is it, is it just once or will you hunt a spot a couple of times or? It's usually once unless I see something really good, you know, and I think I still got a crack at it, but usually once, you know, I'm usually moving quite a bit. Okay. And, uh, what, uh, I guess kind of going back to your initial, your initial map scouting before you ever, you know, put boots on the ground there. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit more about what, I guess what you're looking for there and, and how many spots will you, you know, will you try to have a certain number of spots kind of in mind before you ever, you ever get there? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't number them, but I'll just go over the area and I'll start where, where I, we're going to be camping and I'll spread out from there because the closer to better, the less, less time you're spending driving, the more time you're spending hunting. So I'll, uh, I'll look out from the, um, 
from the parking area out and um like uh pennsylvania was um hill terrain uh, or mountainous terrain so i looked for leeward ridges and i looked for ones with hard axis um one i found right away um which turned out to be the greatest spot we found was um it had a hard axis because you, you you drop down one side through thick terrain and drop down and you hit a river you'd have to cross that river and go up onto the other side and that other side had some really good hunting there was pressure there but we got into some good bucks and in the last day of the season, uh, I almost killed a monster. Um, but ultimately I didn't get the shots. I, I had them full draw, <laughs> but, uh, didn't get the shot, but, uh, um, I didn't end up staying there. I, I moved around quite a bit and then came back. Um, you know, and, uh, when we went to Minnesota, um, we were going to hill country and that particular area, uh, along Mississippi River gets a lot of pressure in the hills, and I knew the oaks were dropping, and I figured bucks in those hills were just going to get up and feed in the oaks and be really hard to pattern or kill. So I thought I'd drop down to, to the, um, the river bottoms and go into the swamps and find isolated oaks. And so I did that, and what I found was there was no oak trees on anywhere in that swamp swampy sections below the hills, all the oaks were in the hills. So I ended up, uh, while I was there, you know, scrapping everything I did. Cause I, I, I spent, um, either one or two days, full days, just walking those swamps, looking for isolated oak trees. I couldn't find any. So I ended up, um, searching some maps and stuff and calling some friends and stuff until I, I got some tips on, um, on a marsh that had, uh, Oak Islands. And I traveled to that spot. And then, uh, found where these Oak Islands were near dry land and found fresh rubs coming out and knew that that buck had to be bedding out on one of those islands. There's like five islands. And we hunted down those islands and actually uh, the guy I was partnered up with, Joe, ended up killing that uh, that buck on the last island that, we're, that we went to hunt when it was his turn. Um, you know, um, so my plan might change when I get there too. I'm not locked into something. Right. If I see something different than what I think, I just keep, you know, moving. You got to be able to adapt, you know, in order to make something happen on a, on a short, quick, quick trip. Now you got to remember too, that, um, on those public land challenges for the most part, um, they really kind of geared into picking spots, not necessarily that were the best destinations. A lot of times they were picking hard destinations, places that would be a real challenge to, to kill a mature buck, kind of your average person's hunting spot. Yeah. So they're going to Pennsylvania where their average viewer, you know, watches the show and, and saying, and, and they're getting feedback from those people saying, Hey, you can't do that where I live. Let's see you <laughs> yeah. come here and kill a buck. Yeah. And that's why we're going there, you know, and, and maybe we can't, maybe they're right. But, uh, that's the challenge of it, you know? So we're not really going to really high deer density destinations. I mean, you, you, you know, you, otherwise you'd see, you know, Kansas, Iowa, you know, Illinois, you wouldn't see Pennsylvania, Michigan, you know, uh, Minnesota. Right. Well, I guess as I kind of wrap things up here, what's the, uh, what's the craziest thing you've, you've done to, to kill a deer? Craziest thing I've done to kill a deer. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, I mean. Uh, it probably don't even seem crazy to you, but I, I've seen a, a lot of the stuff that, that you do as far as, uh, you know, getting through some of these swamps and stuff. I'm like, man, that's, that's hardcore. But <laughs> I think the, the craziest, the craziest story I probably have is that I used to work for this, uh, little machine shop and, uh, this old guy was working there part time and the old guy was a, a, a hunter, but he was, you know, like 70 years old. He was bored, retired. So he came into work part time. And he liked to talk hunting and, uh, he drove past a property that I hunted all the time. And, uh, he comes in one day and he says, Hey, this big buck was, you know, on the back end of that property. I saw it this morning coming to work. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, Oh really? He goes, yeah, it's this, uh, big, big eight pointer, you know? And, uh, I'm like, okay. And, you know, next day he comes in and that big eight pointer was there again. Where were you? It was in there in daylight. You know, and <laughs> he's telling me this. And over and over again, and I'm like, yeah, 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 you know. And then uh, uh, it got into uh, gun season, and I, I 
I couldn't get on anything. And where he kept telling me he was seeing this deer, there's there's open grass and there's a couple little brush pockets and stuff. But he said it was going across this open grass. He'd see it, you know, every other morning he'd see it, you know, in daylight. So then finally during gun season, then, you know, I couldn't find anything. I said, okay, I'll, I'll go over and check this out. So I go over there and I'm looking and there's some big tracks there. And I'm like, well, how would I even hunt this? There's no way to even set up. You can't even set up on the ground. You know, it's just short grass, you know, where, where I could legally hunt. So I ended up uh, going over there and I dug a hole in the ground <laughs> and uh, uh, sat in the ground. So just my head stuck out. And uh, this big 10 pointer comes walking out, you know, and he said every day at eight o'clock is your twan. And it's like seven o'clock, this 10 pointer comes walking out and I shoot it. So I go get this, this buck and uh, happier than hell. And I load it up and uh, I, I drive to the store, pick up a 12 pack of the beer that guy dry, drinks and I'm on vacation, but he's working. I drive over to the shop and I walk over into the shop and I put the 12 pack on his toolbox and I says, thanks. I got him. He goes, you did. And I go, yeah, he's out in the truck. So he comes out to see it and he goes, well, that ain't the buck. <laughs> what do you mean that ain't the buck? I shot it right where you, see, where you see it every morning. He goes, what time you shoot it? He goes, it's not even eight o'clock yet. He goes, you know, he goes, I said, well, yeah, I shot him at dawn or whatever. And he says, he says, uh, well, that ain't the buck. The buck was an eight pointer. It was a wide eight pointer. This is a tight 10 pointer. He says, this is not the buck I saw. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the buck you saw. I was right in the exact same spot. <laughs> so the next week, you know, after gun season's over, I'm back at work, and he comes walking in. He says, that eight-pointer's back in that field. <laughs> I said, bull crap. <laughs> he goes, no, nah, it's there. And a couple of days later, he comes in and tells me the same thing. So I went and got my bull, went back out there, sat in that hole, and sure enough, 8 o'clock, out comes this giant wide eight-pointer, and I shot that one, too. <laughs> oh man that was a pretty yeah. wild story yeah that, that's pretty hardcore too you, you dug a hole so you could uh, shoot a deer <laughs> out in a, a field that's <laughs> that's alright oh man well well, Dan I, man I, I appreciate your time this evening uh, always enjoy talking deer hunting um, for, for those who want to keep up with, with what you're doing and how your season's going uh, what, what's the best way for them to do that YouTube's the best way. I post uh, all my hunts, successful or not. I post the lessons you can learn from every time I go out um, on my YouTube page. So you can YouTube uh, Hunt and Beast, um, or you can just search my name, Dan Infold. Um, we also have a, a podcast um, before the Echo um, that we do weekly. That's live. It's actually not really a podcast. It's a live show that we do on YouTube, uh, but it's on a different channel before the echo. Okay. And, uh, you can always find me on, uh, Facebook or on my website. I have a, a forum based website. That's kind of like a Facebook, you know, um, that's got 20,000 members, um, hunting beast or it's the hunting beast.com. Okay. I'll be sure to, <clears throat> to put links to those in the show notes or, Listeners can can check those out, and yeah, I know the the hunting beast forums there are uh, you know, very active and, and a great place to uh, to share information and learn and learn a lot on uh, on deer hunting and, and chasing these bucks. So yeah, and definitely. it's and it's uh, uh, free speech friendly. You can talk about whatever <laughs> you want as as long as you're uh, you know kid friendly. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. No no forty uh, eight hour bands or anything, huh? <laughs> Right, right. Well, good deal. Well, Dan, again, I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best this season. And I'll be definitely uh, keeping up with you as well on social media and, and looking forward to seeing how you do. I appreciate it. Good luck to you this season. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Dan Infault. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. 
For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.